0: Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. You may be, uh, you may be seated. I'm Mike Moses, I'm lead pastor here, and uh, thank you for that, Mitch. You know, it's just a cool thing. Uh, Mitch and I have been around and leading the church together since it was founded 21 years ago. What a joy and privilege that he and I have been able to, yeah, and with a whole bunch of you guys too, but but it is a, a joy and a unique thing that he and I have been able to partner together. Um, he's a pretty good dude most of the time. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh we're going uh, to finish our sermon series. We, our sermon series for January is called Start. We've been learning uh, different ways of starting in our life from the life of King David in the Old Testament. And uh, in keeping with, with what Mitch just brought us in that update, we're going to look at, at David uh, starting uh, a legacy and how he treated uh, finances and generosity. We'll just go with that theme. Um, it, because, I mean, what Mitch said is just uh, its just remarkable, the generosity of this group of people. You're, it, it's an honor. <laughs> it's an honor to, to serve with you. It's an honor for Angie and I to, to be generous with you and just a part of it. Um, it really is. And, and you're so, uh, and so I just want to kind of go with this, and, and I'm, I'm so overwhelmed. I kind of, I really sort of, I, I think I feel a prophecy coming on. I think I'm going to get charismatic today. I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing something from the Lord, and I'm just trying to, I'm trying to locate it in, uh, Dave, I, I think maybe it's you. Like, you're, you guys are so generous, but Dave, I think I'm hearing from the Lord that not only on top of your ongoing generosity, I'm pretty sure I'm hearing from the Lord that you're going to give everything away in generosity. Just like, like the, ch- wait, 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 wait. It's not just you. Wait a minute. It's Charlie, too. I'm here. I, 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 like, the Lord is to me. Like, I, as generous as you are, I think I'm hearing you. You're just going to give it all away. No, no. It's not just you, too. It's the whole balcony. I'm hearing this from the Lord. You're going to give everything away because God has decided all the stuff you have. car you drove here in place where you live, where you rent or you own, your storage unit, your second storage unit. (laughs) God has decided that when it comes time for you to leave this earth, that's going to all go to somebody else. Because the Lord God says in the new heavens and the new earth, I got better stuff for you. So you don't need that. So ultimately, Every person in this room, we are going to give it all to someone. It will go to someone else. And yet, in spite of the fact that we'll all be the ultimate givers, we'll all ultimately give it all, there's many of us in this life who aren't getting in on the joy of it now. Who are like, like, Really? Like giving a lot of money to people on the other side of the world that I'll probably never meet when we got problems here? Really giving generously here to help educate the children of recent immigrants who give them a leg up? Seriously? Giving that kind of money to the church? I mean, there must be somebody in here who stroked a big check, but seriously? That kind of money, I man, I don't know. T- tithing? I, I don't know about that. There's a lot of us, in spite of the massive generosity in these people, and those of you worshiping with us online today, there's a lot of us, though, still, who approach, our approach to giving is like, how little could i give and still consider myself a, a generous person or how little could i do i have to give and kind of have god happy with me or think of myself as a spiritual person because i know whether i'm looking into christianity or even other spiritualities like generosity is a part of being a spiritual person but how little can i give and consider myself th- 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 that god probably smiles at me and why is that even though this is a thing many of us wrestle with but especially because even personal experience and social science proves that generous people are happy people they're joyful do you know i just have the privilege of of people sometimes telling me how generous they are and like those are happy people i've never met a generous person who ah, man. Mm. Got that kind of a face on them. I I haven't. And we also know from experience in social science, the opposite is true. The stingy people, greedy people, are unhappy, puckered up, spirited kind of people. Like, that's a sucky way to live. Excuse my French. Uh, at, At this church, we talk about life as it is because the Bible does, and so... That's just real. That's just, like, actually true. Stingy, greedy people are just have a puckered up spirit. Like, I want joy. I I want the the joy that generosity brings. I don't want the other. One guy has a theory. C.S. Lewis wrote a little book called Screwtape Letters. The Screwtape Letters is a fiction book of letters of a senior demon writing to a junior demon. And it's all made up, and the senior demon is training the junior demon in ways of deception so he can destroy people's lives so that their lives will be more sucky. That's demons' jobs. And here's what he writes to him about the subject of stuff and giving. Quote, the sense of ownership in general, one demon to another, is the sense of ownership in general is always to be encouraged. Those humans are always putting up claims to ownership, which sound equally funny in heaven and in hell. We must keep them doing so. All the time, the joke is that the word mine in a fully possessive sense cannot be uttered by a human being about anything. In the long run, our father, says the demon, meaning the devil, or the enemy, which he means God, will say mine of each thing that exists and especially of each man or woman. They will find out in the end, never fear, to whom their time and their souls and their things really belong, but it is certainly not to them. His point's well taken. That when we claim ownership as human beings over anything, from the perspective of heaven and time, it sounds kind of silly. This is mine, I can control it, do with this what I want because it belongs to me. Is kind of silly. Because everything we have somehow was given to us, and we'll pass it on. And yet I'm just like you, like I'm, I'm entering a phase of life where I'm like, man, I, I hope there's enough one day that I could like retire and kick back when I'm 95 years old or something. You know, I, I mean, I'm thinking like I, I need some stuff that's, that's, that's mine. I live with a sense of ownership. I tend to think in my head about my stuff the way the seagulls in the movie Finding Nemo did, All right? What, what did those seagulls say? we're going to look at a story about king david and the people of israel and they were able to explode a huge myth the myth of ownership that we are owners in this life in a way that freed them up to do something remarkable, so remarkable, we still talk about it today. And if you, if you want to turn in your own Bible, we're going to be in 1 Chronicles 29. I'm sure you were just reading there this morning. Uh, and I'm going to give you a little context as, as you turn to 1 Chronicles 29. This is King David. We've been learning from him all month. And now he's at the end of his life. He's at the legacy time of life, which will resonate with some of you here and the people are the the, the people of Israel. And, and big picture, when we, when we read in the Old Testament about the people of Israel, God has elected a people through whom he is revealing his character and his salvation plan, which will culminate in the suffering servant of Israel, the representative man of Israel, Jesus the Messiah, who will come and be God's plan to save us through his atoning death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead three days later. That's the big plan God's slowly revealing through Israel And through David now he's formed them into the people of God And they're learning about God And as you know in the Old Testament from their perspective God kind of lived in a box When they were walking around the desert The people of Israel What was the name of the box that God lived in for them? The Ark of the Covenant The Ark of the Covenant And uh, for those of you who saw Raiders of the Lost Ark What was inside of the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments Yes, you did your homework back in the 80s Ten Commandments. Um, And and then they kept the Ark of the Covenant in a tent. And what was that tent called? The tabernacle. The tabernacle. We didn't do so great on our pop quiz this morning. The tabernacle. Here's what's happened now. Now. But by the time we get to 1 Chronicles here, 29, God through David has built this incredible people of Israel, and they're beginning to really know Yahweh and begin to reflect him to the world. And, and, and they're now anchored in the capital city of Jerusalem under David's leadership. That has just happened recently. And David is now an older man now. And, and in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2, he's like, Dude, here I am living in this place. We built a palace, by the way. Angie and I toured the ruins of the palace of King David in ancient uh, Jerusalem. And I'm in this palace. It's got carved wood, cut stone. Uh, uh, And he says, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Like, David's like, Man, you know where I started? I lived in caves for years. I was a shepherd boy, and here I am in a palace. Some of you can relate. You think to where you started. You think to the roots that you come from. And you go, wow, I myself. Where I am today is remarkable. And as part of that, David says, all that God's given me, and he's still living in a tent. Now, they knew God didn't live in the box and in the tent. It was the, the focal representative of their worship of God, who was the God of the universe, okay? But it represented that to them. And so David gets this idea. He's like, I'm going to build God a temple. I'm going to build my house out of my gratitude. That's what I'm going to do. But then God sends David a message. And he relays this. He's telling his son, 1 Chronicles 22, verses 7 to 8. I'll put that on screen next. And he says, David, he said, my son Solomon, I was ready to build a house for the name of the Lord. But the word of the Lord came to me and said, you've shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name, your son Solomon will have the job. God said no to King David did he what he want was it, was it evil? was it bad for people? No, it was a good thing David wanted and God said no. what do you do? went through God's sovereign plans and the contingency of human decision making, the answer is no to something good you want. Is it a relationship you're wanting this year? Is it this school, not that one? Is it, I don't know what it is, but the answer is often no in life. What does David do? Does he decide, well, I'm an older man. This is the last thing I wanted to do to honor God and he won't let me. I'm going to be bitter. No, he does what healthy people do. The next best thing. He moves on. And what he decides to do, instead of being discouraged, he does this amazing thing, and that's what sets up this passage, this teaching. Even though he's never gonna see the temple, he decides, well, I'm gonna raise, all, I'll do the next best thing. I'll raise all the money for it. I'll get all the carpenters and the artisans uh, organized. I'll get all the materials for it so that when it comes time for the next t- king to build the temple, all he will have to do is say, let it be done let it be so and the temple will be built they'll be ready and so david spends the last years of his life preparing for the temple that he will never see how about you and me he spends these years about leaving a legacy now that's what he's going to start doing and about you, did you think about legacy? It's not never too early. Adul- adults over 60, I- I've met a few of you recently who said, We moved here to Huntersville because we're going to be near our kids and our grandkids. Dude, that's beautiful legacy stuff to build ballast into the soul of, of a grandchild and tell them how much God loves them and how much they matter to you. That's that's beautiful legacy stuff. Some of you are are. Uh, think through ownership succession of, of an enterprise that you own or you've been part of. Some of you uh, think about legacy. Oh, my goodness. Some of you, just this year, you decided per, to participate in a legacy of a, rescuing a child through one of our orphanages in, Asia, in northern India. Rescuing a child without a future into a family into a future, into God's family. So many of you are leaving beautiful legacies by how you give. And David here, he's all about legacy. How are you doing that? 29, chapter 29, 1 Chronicles, verse 1. Then King David said to the whole assembly, "My son, so Let's put this on screen. My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. And listen to this, verse 2. Can we put verse 2 on screen? Uh, with all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold, silver for the silver. And in your Bible it might say it a little differently but it's because more literally what David is saying here is with all my ability to give, I've given to this project. In other words... For David, this isn't about a percentage giving. It's not about, well, I had this left over at the end of the month, so I kind of slipped it in there to, to help build the temple. Um, this is about how much I think it'll take for God to be happy and for me to think of myself as a spiritual person. No, no, this is, he says, I looked around at his king and everything that's my wealth personally, and I went in with a mindset, I want to give as much as I possibly can so it can be said of me. I gave with all my ability. And interesting, David's not embarrassed to talk about his generosity with the people of God, about giving resources to God's work in this world. And I remember being a pastor when I started. I was 31, 32 years old. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I, talking about giving in front of people, that's so personal. Dude, I'm not embarrassed. I love to talk about generosity. I'm so happy to look at this passage of scripture today with you. You know why? Because I I see the wreckage of of people, friends, who are enslaved to debt. And, And it is sucking the plenitude and the capacity out of their life, emotionally and spiritually. I see singles, I see married people who spend up to the 100% mark of of what they earn. And I see the stress in their eyes all day, every day. Everything's a stress when you live that way. And it makes me sad for people. And so I'm not embarrassed to talk about giving because it's God's antidote to stress. Because when you live the way that the book of Proverbs teaches, 80-10-10, first 10% goes to God's priorities, His kingdom work. Second 10% hooks your future self up savings, and when you live on 80% at whatever your income level is, instead of the stress here, is here. I'm so happy when I see people discover you can live that way, that not only am I not embarrassed to talk about God's plan for generosity, I'm eager, just like David is here. The only reason I hesitate and I'm a little bit worried when I talk about giving and tithing here with you, is is the off chance that one of you might mistake this for a legalistic rule to keep God happy with me? That would break my heart. Because generosity is not something God wants from you. It's something he wants for you. God will never love you more or less than he does right now. And his gift of salvation through Jesus is free. We don't have to do anything. We don't need to give a penny or a million dollars. He just gives it to you and he lavishes it. He loves you and he's happy with you. Generosity is his plan for you to have a joyful, abundant life and know there's meaning in your money and there's order in your home. It's his gift. So David's not embarrassed to talk about it, his own generosity, and and, and nor are we. We want the abundant life for one another. Hmm. So, verse 2, he says, With all my resources I've provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold, silver for the silver. Verse 3, Besides in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver. Over and above everything I've provided for this Holy temple and in verses 4 and 5 he details the amounts which one scholar has estimated is the equivalent of 17 billion dollars worth of stuff out of his personal and here's what's interesting he says yes I drew from my wealth as king I got that going for me but I also dipped into my personal wealth because I wanted to be said I gave everything I could possibly give I think this is relevant for business owners business leaders he gave from his personal income i think some of us could be tempted to fake ourselves out with generosity by skimming it off of net profit when in fact maybe we're just depressing wages and benefits of the beautiful people who work in our enterprise as opposed to our giving personally costing us out of our income. But David's like, so I'm giving out of my king stuff, my business. I'm giving out of my personal. Like, I'm looking for a way to give. I'm not looking for just how much do I have to do so I feel like a spiritual person. This is awesome. Now, look down at the end of, uh, of verse 5. He turns and speaks to the people. And he says, who's willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? He doesn't say who's willing to give a lot of money. Because this is about the heart and the soul. He's like, who's setting your whole life apart for God's usage, like for God's legacy of his kingdom stuff? Verse 6, Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders, thousands, hundreds, officials in charge of the king's work, they gave, what? Willingly. That reminds me of some people, a whole bunch of you all. It's just beautiful. This is just a reflect. I've chosen this passage today on purpose after what Mitch said. Like, y'all are beautiful at this. So many of you. They gave willingly. They gave toward the work of the temple, 5,000 talents and 10,000 darks of gold, silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. My goodness, it goes on. Verse 8. Any who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Nick Bianca Fiore. (laughs) Nick is our accountant and bookkeeper here for... 20 years now. He's so faithful. He's actually the accountant in charge of the whole Hornets Arena uptown and he does this for us. Um, But back in the day, his name was Jehiel the Gershonite. Uh, There in verse (laughs) 8. I'm going to start calling you that, Nick. Uh, Verse 9. This is beautiful. Verse 9. Let's go to the next screen. "The, The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king, Mike and Mitch the pastors, the elders of Lake Forest, rejoice greatly as we see the generosity of Lake Forest, folks. This is beautiful. You all are beautiful in your generosity, just the way the people of God were back in 1000 B.C. here. And what you see here in 1 Chronicles 29 is almost a feeding frenzy mentality that develops toward giving. People are like, well, man. I, they're not like, well, how much do I need to do to get in the game and feel like, okay, I'm part of the people of God. They're just like, how can I get in on this? What else do I have? How, can I, how generous can I be to God's purposes in this world? And it's incredible. Even though most of them will never see it, it's, it's going to be a legacy. And that's, I've seen that here multiple times. And yet, I know there are people missing out. A lot of Americans miss out on this as a lifestyle and instead live in an attitude of, well, how little could I give and still respect myself in the morning? (laughs) How close can I get to greed without being greedy? Because I know almost nobody who really wants to be greedy. That does exist. But most of us don't want to be that. We're like, but I'd like to know where the line is, and I'd like to be an inch behind it. And sometimes we think that way. And when we think that way, it's because we're confused. And we're not getting something that these guys in 1 Chronicles 29 got. It's we're confused because we think we're an owner. We think we're the owner. And so here, here's how we give. Okay, God, you get a little something. See you next week. Next week, maybe a little bit more if I'm still good on my bills and uh, stuff. But really, it's mine, 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 mine. And, and, you know, it sounds different ways. People will come to me and be like, hey, Pastor Mike, like, tithing, man, isn't that like an Old Testament thing? Please, please, please say yes. (laughs) And I'd be like, well, dude, New Testament, Jesus said, yeah, you Pharisees ought to do that. And then also love and justice. And. New Testament teaches proportional, percentage, planned, regular giving of what we can willingly, joyfully give. Uh, or somebody's like, Mike, do I tithe off the gross or the net? Do I give before taxes or after? I'm like, well, Angie and I decided we want God's blessing off the gross, not the net. And so that's what we do. But, but, but sometimes our questions and our thoughts about this can come from how little can I give and keep God happy with me? Because we're looking at it like a legalistic contract or something as opposed to a gift, a grace from God that orders our life and gives us joy and sets us free from the tyranny of stuff. Because huh. that's a long way away from the attitude of, man, I want to max out my giving, give as much as I can, awesome. And this group of people saw and embraced and recognized. Here's the, really the bottom line today. I'll put this on screen. David and the people acted like stewards, not owners. They recognized that they were not owners at all, that they're stewards. An owner, it belongs to me. A steward, it's just on loan to see what I'll do with it. It's somebody else's. And they, And when that mentality sunk in, that's when this group got into this giving frenzy. Like, what's my maximum level and capacity of giving? Not where's the line that I have to toe up to Verses 10 to 11. Now, because of, we know this because of the prayer that David prayed. This is so powerful. Verse 10. This is the point. He says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise to you, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Would you say that bolded out part with me? For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Worshipping online, driving in your car, looking on your phone right now, say it with us. Everybody together. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. They had this big wake-up call. Hey, I'm not an owner. Everything's God. I've got a little portion of it on loan to me for a short amount of time to use for God's purposes and my joy. And so they wanted to give as generously as they could because it all belongs to him anyway. Now he goes on, uh, uh, verses 11 and 12. And men, just specifically for a second. I think this is powerful because it's well known that masculinity has a different kind of attachment to our work maybe than some femininity does. And so he says this, Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. This is so powerful to me, men. David was a man, a lot of men in this room. He gave his life and his heart to his occupation. He had risked his life numerous times for the nation of Israel. He lost a son for the nation, which was his occupation. He had lost other family members for his work. He had invested so much of his life into making Israel the people of God and getting them into the capital of Jerusalem. And at the end of his life, after he's invested all of his energy and his time, he's built it up, he's worked long hours, he's got gray hair and wrinkles, and he's looking at this kingdom that God has allowed David to develop. And he's saying, God, even though there's a lot of me in the product of my work, even though it's the result of a lot of my hard work, the truth is, it's yours. The kingdom is yours. You. What you have. Is because you've taken advantage of opportunities. The reason you have, you've worked hard, you've leveraged opportunities and your abilities, you've made sacrifices. Many of you were afforded an education by a family that propped you up. But at the end of the day, if you and I are wise and smart, we look at my little kingdom, my career, my little house, my little cars, my little man toys in my garage, and say, Lord yours is this little kingdom because everything comes from you. I am but a steward. Now, another pastor has his people do something that I'd like to ask you to do just because I like to make you uncomfortable every now and then. But would you, would you raise your hands up in there? Let's be charismatic Presbyterians for just a minute. That's not an oxymoron. Up in the balcony, I see you. Please raise your hands like you're on a roller coaster. Okay, And let's all say together, everything belongs to God. God. I want you to imagine your kingdom, everything. Keep your hands up. I want you to imagine your 401K. I want you to imagine your bank account. I want you to imagine your car that you came here in. I want you to imagine your favorite little chair that you settle into with your coffee in the morning. I want you to imagine where you live. I want you to imagine the clothes hanging in your closet. I want you to imagine those 55 pairs of shoes you have in that closet. And now let's say everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. That's the belief system of a steward who activates it through the behavior of giving. And then God grooves the character trait of generosity which overflows and blossoms into joy throughout a whole life. What a privilege that we get to steward everything that belongs to God. Because everything I have, if you took away everything that's been given to me, I'm a mannequin. That's all I am. Verse 14 says, let me put this on screen. Who am I, who are my people? We should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes, we've only given what comes From your hand, O Lord. Everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. We're a steward who manages someone else's stuff. God's put on loan some stuff, some money, some talent, some time for a short period of time for you and me to use it. And a steward is someone, I'll put this on screen, who takes their cue from the owner to decide what to do with the stuff. And, you know, when we live as a steward, not an owner, God's goals come first. And so, 20-somethings, now's the time. If you're in college, now's the time. With Whatever income comes in, start living 80-10-10. First 10% goes to God's goals, kingdom stuff. How awesome is it that part of God's goals for this church is we will be planting some churches in the Middle East this year through all of our combined legacy giving. Dude, I want to be part of that. Just start now. and Wherever you are, 10% goes to God's goals first. 10% to your future self. Hook, hook that person up. And then live off of the 80%. Your 20s is the time to start. Because everything we have comes from God. And it all belongs to God. And all the time, God is about his big, huge, eternal, sovereign purposes in this world, redeeming all things and people to himself. We get to be part of it through our giving. And there's already enough money in the bank accounts of Christians in this country to feed the hungry, to house the homeless, to educate the ignorant, and to spread the good news of Jesus to every tribe and nation where Jesus is not yet known. It's there, and it's beautiful—the way God is using you to do all of these things and more. It's just beautiful. And so here's the end. Just let me just be super practical. Number one, let's put this uh, this last screen up if we could. Um, number one, for those of you here at Lake Forest, like a whole but ton of you who are tithing and giving the first 10% of your earnings to God's work in the world. Will you rejoice greatly today? Just like go home and hook yourself up with an extra bowl of nachos. Just rejoice that you're living that way. I'm just so proud of you and it's a joy to do that with you. This year, Angie, God has led Angie and I. We'll be giving 14% of our income, the bulk of it here, and then also to mission partners that we really believe in. For those of you who are not yet... um, tithing let's put this last screen up um hey i just invite god wants this for you not from you You're, you hear it's very intentional we're doing this today um uh, start the one percent challenge grow your giving just by one percent everybody in my hearing can do that now activate it by text or online activate it today as you talk to the lord about it just grow it by one percent and do that the rest of the year Or start the tithe challenge. Pastor Mitch is very famous for standing up here once a year and saying, hey, God promises that when you give the tithe, he will give back to you even more. And so Mitch says that if you go ahead and start the tithe challenge and you find that God doesn't bless you in return in in non-material, immaterial ways, he will write a check back to you from his personal account. That's what he says. (laughs) Guarantee. Would you stand and let's pray.